You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. anything. God did it all. All I did was accept what he was already giving me and sending towards me. But it changes lives, the gospel message. Everywhere God's grace would pour it out, lives were changed. But in the interim, Jesus Christ, as he sought out one man, a precious, precious quarry that he sought out and went after, a man named Saul of Tarsus. Now he met him on the Damascus road and his heart was changed in an instant. As Christians, it's easy to get caught up in the problems of our world and forget why we're even here. We so often let our own issues overtake us instead of loving others. Today, Pastor Dave explains that you must live every day as an opportunity to preach the gospel to the world. Our greatest calling is to bring others to Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 12 as he begins his message, Reacquainting the Church with the Power of Prayer. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, He put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. I call this message getting reacquainted with the power of prayer. Getting reacquainted with the power of prayer. Let me start by reading you an article that appeared in the Washington Post. February 21st, 2012. The American Center for Law and Justice, focusing on constitution and international law, said today it has received information that Iran may have issued an execution order for Pastor Yosef Nakadarkhane, who was sentenced to death because he refused to recant his Christian faith. The ACLJ is working to determine whether Pastor Yosef is still alive. As of today, this is a quote, we cannot confirm that Pastor Youssef is alive, unquote, said Jordan Seculo, director of the ACLJ. The news out of Iran is not encouraging, he continues, with Iran now dominating international headlines because of its military actions. It is clear Iran may have decided to move forward by issuing an execution order, knowing that the world's attention is focused elsewhere right now. We also know that Iran's top officials can reject the execution order and release Pastor Yosef if they so desire. We will keep the international pressure on Iran to free Pastor Yosef. It goes on just a few more things. It is still unclear at this present time whether Pastor Yosef would have the right to appeal the execution order. 
the Iranian's head judiciary chief, the Ayatollah of something, must approve publicly held executions. But only a small percentage of these executions are held and carried out in public. Most executions in Iran are conducted in secret. The disturbing news comes as more than 35,000 Americans have signed on to the ACLJ petition urging members of Congress to support a resolution condemning Iran for its actions and calling for the immediate release of the Christian pastor. The ACLJ continues to reach out through its global social media campaign to generate support for Pastor Yosef. A Twitter campaign involves nearly 1,600 individuals who are sending one tweet a day on behalf of Pastor Nakadarmi. The campaign now reaching more than 345,000 Twitter accounts in nearly 180 countries and territories. Their goal is to reach 1 million people a day on behalf of the pastor. Unquote. Interesting article, wouldn't you say? A sign of the times. Well, you may not think it'd be a sign of the times in America, but this is the sign of the times in every other part of the world, every other part of the world that we see. While I love the fact that these Christians around the world and the Christian community are signing petitions and tweeting, creating international pressure, the one thing that disturbs me most about this article is where is the call to prayer? Where's the call to prayer? Nothing in this article says that we should be praying for this pastor, praying for his wife, praying for his release, praying for comfort for his family. He's a father with a wife and two children. Nothing calls for prayer in this article, and that kind of disturbs me. It's not a coincidence that I read this article as we were preparing today's message. There's no coincidence here. Why aren't we praying? Why isn't the church of God on its knees praying for this pastor? Why are we not collectively praying for this pastor's release in some way, in some form? I think the church needs to get reacquainted with the power that the Lord has given us through prayer. And that's my belief. That's what happens to be our study this week. Getting reacquainted with the power of prayer that God has given us. As we come to today's text, we have opened up a new chapter in the account of the early church in chapter 12. It's a fun chapter as we move on in this glorious book of Acts. In chapter 1 through 11, we saw this wonderful outpouring of God's grace. This beautiful outpouring of God's grace in the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy when he said in Acts 1 verse 8 to his disciples and to the believers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You know, we studied when the Holy Spirit fell upon these people who were huddled in the upper room, the 120 people. The Spirit fell upon them, and they used tongues of fire, and wind was heard, gushing wind. We saw the testimony of Peter that very first day, and how 3,000 came to faith and believed upon the Lord Jesus that very first day because of Peter's testimony and boldness he had in the Holy Spirit. In the subsequent chapters that we studied in the book of Acts, we watched the church of Jerusalem grow in numbers. 2,000 added here, 5,000 added here. The church of Jerusalem continued to grow and prosper. And most of these, most of these were Jewish. They were Jewish converts leaving Judaism and coming into Christianity, seeing the Messiah for the first time as who he really is, the Son of God. So we saw this Jewish revival, so to speak, and a true Judaism was happening here. But we watched as the church of Jerusalem endured affliction. They endured persecution. They endured beatings. 
We read that through the subsequent chapters. But the church continued to flourish, continued to grow at great numbers. In fact, the number became so great that the apostles could not handle it. They couldn't take time to feed everybody and do all the work and yet still study the word of God so that they could feed the sheep and feed the flock. They couldn't do it. So they came up with a plan. The Lord gave them something. They chose seven men to wait tables, it says, and help with the distribution of food. Among them was our friend, a Hellenist, who was a Greek-speaking Jew named Stephen. It says Stephen was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, and he did signs and wonders. Well, these signs and wonders that he did caused a dispute. It caused a major dispute with some of the other Jewish people and some of the other Hellenists. This led to his arrest, and you know, his eventual murder. Stephen was arrested, and he was murdered. But after Stephen's death, a great, severe persecution arose again. More persecution, and the church scattered, and they went in every direction. But as they went, they took with them the word of God. They took with them the gospel message. And you remember when we read about the revival in Samaria? How Philip was there, and the, the Samaritans were revived, and Peter went down there, and the Holy Spirit fell upon the Samaritans. And you remember when Philip was called out of Samaria, and he went down to the desert. Why did he go to the desert? Because one person was there, the Ethiopian eunuch, remember? And he witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian believed, and he went on his way, and he took the word of God down to another continent. And God continued to spread his word. We watched this. We looked at this. God's amazing grace flowed like a river overflowing its banks. It flowed freely, touching everyone who it would, changing lives as people trusted and believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Lives are changed when that happens. This is what changed a person's life. This is what changed my life. It made me new. I became a new creation because I was born again in Jesus Christ. I was born again into a living hope. I didn't do anything. God did it all. All I did was accept what he was already giving me and sending towards me. But it changes lives, the gospel message. Everywhere God's grace was poured out, lives were changed. But in the interim, Jesus Christ, as he sought out one man, a precious, precious quarry that he sought out and went after, a man named Saul of Tarsus. And how he met him on the Damascus Road, and his heart was changed in an instant. His heart was changed, and he believed upon the Lord Jesus. How Jesus had called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he would use the Apostle Paul to spread the word of God to the outermost portions of the world, using the Apostle Paul and what he would show the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul was shown all the things that he was even going to suffer for, it says. Paul left the scene was gone for a while. And in another interim, Peter. Peter, who had the keys of the kingdom, all of a sudden is given the opportunity to unlock the kingdom of heaven to the Gentiles. And we just got finished studying that. We witnessed the overflowing of God's grace that consumed the Gentiles that were gathered at Cornelius' house. They were gathered there together. And as Peter explained, you know, God is not a respecter of person. We can no longer call common or unclean what God has cleansed. And this magnificent, beautiful thing where the Gentiles are called into God's word, the age of the Gentile opens up. The age of the Gentile opens up and people are ushered in. Praise God for the age of the Gentiles because that is us. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be here, folk. 
The age of the Gentiles, when it was opened up, that's us. You know, every time things are going along real good, things are happening real smooth. People are getting saved left and right. Churches are being planted here. Churches are being planted there. People are being saved. People are saying hallelujah. People are living their lives for God in the street before people. People are wondering why they're living that way. They want to be born again. And there's a great revival anywhere. Yeah, there's someone lurking around, just waiting to get his hands in the midst of things so he can throw a little wrench into the series of things. Yeah, Satan opposes God's work. He always opposes God's work. You may experience anything in that life. Just when you think things are going smoothly, you're like, this is great. The Lord's really blessing me. I got the witness to this person the other day. You know what? They accepted the Lord. You turn around, bam, there he is. How come everything got terrible? Well, what did you just say? God used me mightily, yeah? And you're surprised because why? But we do. We get surprised. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy that which God has planned. That's what he wants to do. But I asked this person to go to church so many times, and every time they go out the door to come to church, something happens. Yeah. And why do you think that happens? He knows what happens when you take someone to a church. He knows that that person is probably going to hear the word of God, and he knows that salvation could follow, and he knows that's another one lost for him. So he does everything in his power, flat tires, arguments, you name it, everything in his power to keep people from coming out, rain, whatever it is, whatever he can use, he uses to his advantage. Anytime there's a mass outpouring of God's grace, like we saw in chapters 1 to 11, you can be certain that Satan is ready to strike at the core. And we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. In chapter 12, once again, Satan rears his ugly head, and he attacks the church's headquarters in Jerusalem. He reaches up. Things are going too well. You guys are getting too big for your bridges. Bang, Satan's there. And he returns to one of his most favorite tactics, persecution. He returns to one of his most favorite tactics. You know, the flow in the book of Acts is really redirecting our focus to the Gentiles. It's really redirecting our focus to what's happening with the Gentile church. It's basically leaving the Jewish church, the Jews behind, those believers, but it's refocusing to what's going to happen. And from now on in the book of Acts, we're going to study how Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Timothy, they all went and spread the gospel message to the uttermost portions of the world, to the Gentile world. That's the focus now of the book of Acts. But before we get to that, Dr. Luke, in his brilliance, wants to show that the church of Jerusalem is still receiving God's grace. He wants to give us a small glimpse of what the, he is working on their behalf. He hasn't forgotten them. You say, why was this included? Well, so that readers like us can say, well, maybe God left the church of Jerusalem. Maybe he forgot about them. No, 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 no. God does not forget about his people. God is very aware about what's going on in your life. God's care for you never diminishes. God's care for you, his love for you never fades. He will never love you more than he does right now. And that's a ton because he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. But Luke wants to reacquaint the church with the power of prayer. And he uses these five verses, the subsequent verses that follow that we'll look at next week, to reacquaint us with the power of prayer. Why does he do that? Because he's reminding them, hey, gang, 
God is still on the throne. God has not abdicated his throne to someone else. God is still there. And God very much cares about you. He's still in control. And it's extremely important that we recognize this every single day. Crazy thing, I'm not a very good flyer. Since I don't have wings, that means airplanes. I have no, no desire to fly. I don't fly very well. You talk about the white knuckle flight? Well, you know. Anyhow, we were waiting to come back from a, a pastor's conference down in Florida, the same one that we went to just a little while ago. But we flew one time. This was back in the 90s. And we had to fly. We were waiting for Spirit Airline. I mean, of course, when every time it comes time to fly, as it gets closer, my pacing gets more. I'm like a tiger in the cage waiting for me. I'm pacing back and forth. B can't even look at me. She goes, will you sit down? She can't even look at me because I'm all over the place. And I'm getting jittery. My face gets red. I start to sweat. What's going through my mind is horrendous. And we're sitting there. We're, we're just, oh, I can't stand this. And all of a sudden, the plane has landed, and people are getting off. Well, here we go. I got to get on this. Oh, man, I'm going through this. And all of a sudden, the last person off the airplane, the very last person off the airplane comes walking out with his red T-shirt with huge letters, God is in control. Boy, did I need that. Thank you, Jesus. Did I need that. Why do we forget? Why do we forget that he's in control? We forget constantly that he's in control. And this is what Dr. Luke is saying to the church and to us. God is in control. He's still on the throne, and he's still working on our behalf. He still cares for you constantly. He still cares for every single thing about you, every hair on your head, every problem, et cetera, et cetera. You know the scriptures. The sparrow falls, how much more does he care about you than the sparrow? He cares about everything. You may get in a circumstance. You may be even in persecution, and you can't make heads or tails out of it. You may be wondering what is happening and why. But the Lord reminds us that he is ever in control and has all things under his authority. Scripture tells us what we should already know. Listen to the words of Romans 8.28. And before you quote it in your head, listen to what Scripture says. There are three words that start Romans 8.28. And we know. So many of you can say, God works all things together for good, because, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it says, and we know. We should know that. That should be our mantra. That should be God's calling upon our lives. He works all things together for good. Why? We know this, and we should be satisfied in the midst of a trial. He works all things together for good. Why? We know this. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We talked about election on Wednesday night and Wednesday night before. According to his purpose, his good pleasure, his will. But sometimes it's difficult to see the good when you're in the midst of persecution and you're in the midst of the bad. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm going through a hard time and somebody comes up to me, you know, God works all things together for good. Oh, I know that. But we need to be reminded. And this is what Luke is doing here. He's reminding the church. He's reminding us. If there's one thing that he wants us to be assured of is that God cares about us. In this account, Luke tells us that God hears our cries. He sees our affliction, and God acts according to his purpose, not our purpose. His purpose. Next week, we're going to talk about Peter being released from this prison. And you might ask, why didn't he release James? Why was James beheaded? Because God is sovereign, and he's in control. I can't tell you why. Did he love Peter more than James? No. No. Remember, it's thy will be done, not my will be done. So as we look at our study, 
and we come to verse 1, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Now, about that time means when everything was happening with Cornelius, everything that was happening in Antioch, you know, with Peter, all that things were happening. About that time, Satan reached his hand, and through King Herod, he harassed the church. It seemed like a thing to do for the time. But to understand what's being cited in this text, we got to look about who this King Herod is. So let me give you a small history lesson. This man, Herod, was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was the one who ordered the children of Bethlehem murdered after Jesus' birth, when they were looking for Jesus. Herod the Great also killed his own son, Herod Aristobulus, who happens to be this Herod's father. This Herod, in chapter 12, was the nephew of Herod Antipas. What did he do? He beheaded John the Baptist. So you can see that these Herods come from a long line of skeeving and murderous people, murderous kings. The family of Herod was hated by the Jewish race. They were hated. After the death of his father, this Herod of Acts 12 was sent to Rome to be educated. And he grew up and he became a close friend of the imperial family. But he was a little playboy. And around A.D. 23, he fled to Palestine, escaped his creditors. Upon returning to Rome... He was imprisoned by Tiberius, who was emperor at that time, because he made some critical remarks against the empire. But after Tiberius died, he had a childhood friend by the name of Caligula, who came to power and freed him from prison and gave him a fortune in gold. Soon, this Herod became ruler of some of the Palestine providences. When Caligula died, he was succeeded by another friend, Claudius. And Claudius made Herod the ruler of Judea and Samaria. So you can see where he's coming from. Herod was a politician. He would do as the Romans did only when he was around Romans. Though he was Jewish only by race and not conviction of the heart, naturally, when he was with the Jews, he acted like a Jew. So maintaining his popularity with the Jews was the most important thing on his agenda since he was the governor of that area, the king of that area. He saw Jewish Christians as divisive and believed that their activities would be disturbance to people, so he had James arrested and executed. It says, the next verse, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. According to the Mishnah, you only execute somebody with the sword when they are either a murderer or an apostate. That's what they believed James to be. That's what they believed all Christians to be, apostates, because they left the Jewish faith to follow Jesus. But they didn't really leave their faith. It's because they didn't understand that. Herod got just what he wanted from his action. He became widely popular with the Jews. Why? He was a man pleaser. Beware of this kind of peer pressure. Beware of this kind of peer pressure that leads you to please people and not God. Pilate did the exact same thing. Pilate was a people pleaser. Back in Mark 15, 15, he says he wanted to gratify the crowd. In other words, he wanted to give the crowd what they wanted, so he gave them Barabbas and took, sent Jesus to the uh, cross. It's frightening what this peer pressure can lead people to do. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope. Bye.